So welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. I want to devote this particular episode to framing a discussion around speech rights. I am troubled by what I think is a false description between people who disagree with each other about what some of the key issues are when they disagree. I'll take an international example, I'll take a South African example, and then I want to describe what I think are unhelpful ways of criticizing each other when it comes to the question of speech rights in general. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. So a few moments ago, I was tuning into CNN, as I often do, and a whole panel was discussing what has been a massive issue between Neil Young, international rock star, and Spotify. And Spotify, of course, has decided that uh, they would remo- remove Neil Young's music as per his request because he basically gave them ultimatum and had said to them, listen, if you guys want to have my music on your platform, you've got to get rid of Joe Rogan um, because of his false COVID claims. And, of course, Joe Rogan has been criticized by many scientists and doctors for mis- and disinformation when it comes to vaccines on his podcast that is hosted by Spotify. But the problem is that um, obviously Spotify makes a huge amount of money out of Joe Rogan and in fact had signed a $100 million deal that um, gave the streaming giant exclusive rights to his show. Um, and the reason they paid him that much and signed such an incredible deal because the guy's got something like 11 million or thereabout listeners every single day. So it, it, it never was going to make business sense for them to accede to the request of Neil Young. I'm not interested in the details of that. I am, however, interested in remarks from USA Today contributing columnists Scott Jennings on CNN, who weighed in, and when the host had asked him, well, what do you make of this? He said, well, it's quite interesting. There's a trend on the left. The left has always been advocating for free speech, and yet here you have Neil Young, who once went on a tour many decades ago in support of free speech, suddenly wanting to bully a corporation into removing someone whose speech content he happens to disagree with. And that is a worrying trend. And then you have words like worrying suddenly being used. So essentially what this uh, columnist is saying on CNN is that Neil Young's, the correct way to understand Neil Young's gripe is that Neil Young is simply performing intolerance of disagreement. In other words, Neil Young is no longer 
respectful of speech rights and in fact is now anti a free flow of uh, all sorts of viewpoints, including ones that he might disagree with. And so the fundamental contribution that this contributor makes on CNN is to frame the entire discussion of Spotify versus Neil Young versus Joe Rogan in terms of speech rights eyed issue. It is speech rights that is being put on trial by Neil Young in his position that he had articulated to Spotify. So that's the first example. And I'll come back to the example a little bit later. I want to add in a second example. I was listening to my, um, one of my favorite South Africans is someone that I think is super smart and really thoughtful in his work, Cesar and Paul Walsh. We agree about a lot of things. We disagree about a lot of things, but we've got mutual respect for each other. And in one of his last episodes of his podcast, which is also a YouTube channel, he had a couple of folks on political commentator Aubrey Machitri was one of them. And Aubrey, together with Sizwe a couple of times, as well as advocate Muzi Sikakana, went on about how they are terribly concerned, really, really worried. And again, that kind of adjective and those kinds of adjectival phrases being used kind of similar to what I've just described on the CNN platform. But in this South African context, it was in relation to the debate around the column that had been written by Minister Lindiwe Sisulu, in which she had maligned members of the judiciary and attacked the constitution and the rule of law. But what was really interesting, especially from Aubrey, but the other two on the platform, including Cesar, the host, were supporting him, sometimes literally and sometimes the spirit of his position, is that again, the main way they characterized the critics of Lindy Wesasulu was to say that the critics are really intolerant of disagreement and that her right to speech, her right to conscience, her right to hold an opinion and express it must be held sacrosanct and must be upheld and affirmed. And the subtext was that it was being denied by the people who criticize her. So again, you have a characterization of a debate in the South African context as being fundamentally about speech rights. So there's this international example, Neil Young versus Spotify. And then there's, in the South African context, the example of Lindy Wesesulu versus her critics. And it's really interesting that defenders of Neil Young and in the South African context, some defenders of Lindy Wesesulu, some of them complete defenders, some of them partial defenders, all of them think that a key part of what's going on here at a meta level is that speech rights are being threatened. Those people who criticize Joe Rogan don't really like speech rights. And if they previously did, they're now con contradicting their previously held left-wing positions in favor of speech. Similarly with Lindy Wesesulu, the accusation on the part of the complete or the partial defenders is that those who don't like what she had said, who wishes that she had never written it, or that she should repudiate or retract it, don't like the right to free speech. So let's pause there. I'm going to give you a second, quite literally, to pause and just think about those examples. Now, here's the million-dollar question and the reason why I wanted to, to, to really frame this discussion for us to think about 
and I needed to get it off my chest, which is why this is a solo performance, because I, I want you to think about this and then we can debate it maybe in the weeks ahead and we can find one or two social media platforms where we can have a live discussion. I am not convinced that speech rights are threatened in either one of those two cases. And I think that it is unhelpful as well as inaccurate. It is both unhelpful as well as inaccurate to frame those discussions as being in a fundamental way about speech rights. The reason why it's firstly unhelpful, before I'll tell you why it's also inaccurate, is that if you are mischaracterizing what goes on in a debate, then you potentially lose valuable time to deal with what is really going on. And that's why it's always unhelpful to mischaracterize what the key issues are in the discussion. And if speech rights are not at issue, to have an entire 30, 40, 50% of an allotted time for a dialogue devoted to a discussion about free speech is really to waste an opportunity to get to the nub of the issue. And in that sense, it's incredibly unhelpful. It is a distraction. It is changing the subject. And it is a ruse, very often deliberately so, to not get on to deal with the real particular issue. Neil Young does not need to abandon a commitment to speech rights in order to have a problem with the content of Joe Rogan's speech. A critic of Minister Lindy Wesesulu need not be anti-speech rights in order to think that there's something genuinely harmful about the content of his speech. And so we should be wary of that trick of people who warn us about a really horrible trend and use that kind of language to make you feel bad about your criticism of someone whose speech you deem to be reckless or dangerous or harmful or some of the above. And that's a, that's a trick that is often used by people who don't want to deal with the genuine content of your criticism. Sometimes it is a trick they use deliberately to avoid the real discussion. And sometimes, I'll be nice, it is not intentionally meant to be unhelpful. It is just a genuinely held view that happens to be poorly founded. But in either event... If you wrongly think that speech rights are being threatened in a discussion, then you can waste time getting on to the nexus issues because you have misidentified what the real issues are that you should be debating in that particular context. And that is the sense in which it is not only unhelpful but also inaccurate. So let me then talk about the way in which that kind of misdescription of speech rights being threatened is also inaccurate. And we'll take our two examples in turn. As I was watching the CNN panel discussing Spotify removing Neil Young's music, I'm thinking to myself, at what point is anyone going to summarize the content of Joe Rogan's views about vaccines, people that he's hosted, 
At what point are they going to ask, what actually is Neil Young's beef with the guy's speech? At what point will they evaluate, is or is it not the case that a particular podcast episode can be harmful directly or indirectly to society? At what point are they going to have a more complicated balancing act of asking the question, if there is a harm identified, and maybe there's not, but if there is, is it sufficiently big to warrant the general right to free speech being constrained in this particular instance? And so I can go on and on and on. But I hope what I've demonstrated in the last 90 seconds is something very simple. That the real discussion should be, what did Joe Rogan say, or what did these guests say, what did the people say that he has given access to his platform to, and what has been the causal consequence of it? Is Neil Young accurate in his concerns? Are his concerns exaggerated? That is where the discussion should be lying, rather than fear-mongering and a false description of a slippery slide towards authoritarianism. And Scott Jennings had the audacity of actually suggesting that what Neil Young was doing is a slide towards authoritarian attitudes. The same goes for what I heard on the platform hosted by my buddy Cizwe. It is not true that all the critics of Lindy Wesusulu have forgotten the meaning, the value, and how it should play out of committing yourself to free speech. I mean, that is right up there with saying that if you criticized Adam Katsavelos, who used the K-word infamously when he was on a beach filming himself and saying there's not a K in sight, to criticize him is not to say that his right to free speech does not matter at a general level. To criticize him is not to abandon one's own commitment, both legally, constitutionally, as well as morally, to the place of speech rights in our ways in which we communicate with each other and relate to one another in the world. It's lazy and inaccurate to say of the critic, of the person who performs the K-word, that they want to deny that person their speech right. The real debate is, what does the word mean? Does it constitute harm to say the word publicly? What is the nature of that harm? And if there is harm, is the harm of such a nature that the person should be censured? And should that censure include not allowing them to perform such speech to the point where we may even want to criminalize certain kinds of speech acts. Those are complicated, interesting, fascinating, important questions, but those basket of questions is where the real debate lie. If you were to have a whole hour-long conversation in which 60-70% of the conversation was, are we trampling on the speech rights of Adam Katsavelos, then I'm afraid not only, not only are you being unhelpful by mischaracterizing the real issue, you're also being inaccurate because the beef that we have with that speech act is that it constitutes trampling on the dignity of black people. That is the claim that should be debated. You can still disagree, but that's where the real debate lies. The same with Neil Young. You might disagree with his view, 
But the debate should be about the content of his view, the content of Joe Rogan's views or those of people that he hosts. That's the basket that you should be concerned with. Not a spurious debate about whether or not we should watch out for red flags, authoritarianism being on the horizon, people on the left having abandoned a commitment to speech rights in general. So I'm afraid for those people who say really, really messy, fear-mongering words and phrases like, I'm really concerned, I worry about speech rights. I'm going to say back at you, I'm really concerned at your cheap tricks. I'm really concerned that you misidentify speech rights being at issue when speech rights are not at issue, when the real question is about the content of the speech, whether there's harm in that particular content being disseminated, and whether the critics who claim that there's harm in the speech that's being disseminated have made a convincing case for whether there's harm or not. Those are the questions we should be focusing on rather than a completely misdirected discussion about speech rights. Neil Young is not anti-speech rights. Critics of Lindy Wessosulu are not anti-speech rights. They have problems with the content of Joe Rogan's podcasts and views. They've got problems locally in South Africa with the content of the columns written by Minister Lindy Wessosulu. Are those problems that they allegedly identify genuine problems? And if they are, are they big enough to warrant the kind of criticism that we've seen? That's to be debated. But what you shouldn't do is to falsely pretend that the person that you are debating has abandoned a commitment to speech rights in general.